ugly Christmas. Just sounds awkward saying that because Christmas is all about subdued colors. (laughs) It's all about beauty. It's all about singing. It's all about eating. It's It's everything and anything but ugly. But if you listen to Mike when he talked about the candle that he and Myra lit, he said this is the candle representing the ugly setting of the beautiful story of Christmas. That's what we're talking about over these weeks. I mean, we can joke about it and talk about the ugly sweaters and laugh about it, but in reality, God is all about taking something less than beautiful, and through his will, through his word, turning it into something beautiful. We look, as our readings have led us up to this point today, at the ugly setting of Christmas. Remember, that word ugly in the dictionary can mean one of several things. It's definitely an adjective, which means it's a describing word. It's going to describe something else, thus ugly Christmas or ugly person. But there's some other shades of meaning that you'll find that even we use today when we employ the word ugly when we're describing anything. It can be unpleasant, it can be morally offensive, it can be alarming, it can mean something that is hostile or something that is horrible, or for our purposes, maybe it's best rendered something is ugly when it's unlovely, when it's not what you would expect. So I want to ask you just to think through with me for a few minutes this morning over the the setting, the environment of Christmas that can look pretty ugly. But what we're going to find God doing is he's going to be undoing the ugliness that we may see. So I want you to consider the the environment, the places, the reference points that we find in God's word concerning the coming of the Christ child, the birth of our Savior. The perfectly ugly Garden of Eden. It's the first one I want us to glance at for a few minutes. Now, if you're going through the Bible and you understand the Garden of Eden is going to be found in that first book, the book of Genesis, it's those first opening chapters where a beautiful setting is portrayed, where God creates all things out of nothing. Remember, God needed no raw materials to create anything. It all emanated and came from within himself. He didn't need any help. And the Bible tells us that God created all things and created all things out of nothing. Everything that we see is part of his creation. And he had a purpose for that garden of Eden. Though we can't pinpointed exactly where it might have been on the global map today. We can get relatively close, but that's not the point either. The point is that God created all things, and then his crowning achievement was the creation of mankind, man and woman, Adam and Eve, placed in that garden in a perfectly beautiful setting until 
it became downright ugly. Put any name you want to, to what happened. But let's choose to use the Bible's word. And the Bible calls it sin. Turning away from God's perfect purpose. That's what happened. It's a long, drawn-out story. It's a painful story. But a perfectly beautiful garden turned into a place of ugliness when God had to go searching and looking for his creation because they had never hidden from him before until things got ugly. But you see, God had a way of even taking the ugliness that was brought it to bear because of a choice that we made. And we would have done the same thing. We inherit the same characteristics from those first two people upon the earth. And he undoes that ugliness in that garden with a plan to redeem us, with an option to bring us back to where we need to be. And so God in his forethought in his predetermined will, if you want to put it that way, in the midst of sin entering the world, which came as a choice he allowed us to make. He was never going to force his love upon us. He was never going to turn us into robots that had no choice in the matter. And when we turned against him and wandered away and grabbed anything we could to cover our nakedness and shame, God set into motion a beautiful plan that would culminate in the birth of a Savior who would come to this earth and live a perfect life and die on a cross for ugly, imperfect people like you and me. You see how God undoes the ugly. Well, let's go to another part of the story. It's the perfectly ugly land of Israel. Israel. Now, if you have a globe in your mind or if you've got a Bible that has those maps in the back, and always keep in mind, if your Bible doesn't have maps in the back, take it back. Tell them you want one that does. Because any good Bible has always got the maps in the back. You will find Israel. And when you begin to really look closely at Israel, or maybe you've had the opportunity to go there in times past. And my encouragement is to you, if you're a believer, you ought to go to Israel once, least. You need to, to put your feet on the ground where Jesus walked. And you need to see the things that you've heard about all these years. But Israel is downright ugly. I mean, look at her history. Of the thousands of years she's been in existence, she hasn't been in charge of her own affairs but only what, about 25% of the time. All the other times she's been under the domination of an Assyrian empire, a Babylonian empire, a Roman empire. All the way up to present day history, even though 60 some odd years ago she was declared a sovereign state. But we know, just reading the paper, that that's not the end of the issue in the minds of many. Israel, all through her history, has been the doormat of armies. Because why? Because if you look there where Israel is situated 
on the globe, if you're going to go anywhere in that part of the world, if you're going to save time and use your resources judiciously, you're going to walk straight across the boundary of Israel. So when Egypt got mad at somebody, they just traipsed north up through Israel. Nothing the Israelites could do about it. When the Assyrians got ready to come down and take over that part of the world that they had yet to conquer, they just stormed across Israel. The whipping boy, if you will. The doormat, if you will. But God had other plans. God had some beauty to bring to bear. That in this land that if you and I were looking at a spot for God to say, this is where I'm going to do all the things I want to do, we might think we could have picked a better place. We could have given God some more coordinates, if you will. We could have found a place that could have been easier to defend, that would have stood out as a place of beauty. And when you look at the big picture, that's exactly what God has done with a tiny little piece of land in the world that he created out of nothing. He has a way of undoing the ugliness that we see. But there's another stop along the way. It's the perfectly ugly city of Jerusalem. Now, we hit the Garden of Eden. It's going to be somewhat removed, as best we can tell, from the borders of Israel, a little bit east, several hundred miles. And the land of Israel, we can picture that in our minds. But it's that city of Jerusalem, the capital. The capital that was always seen at least when David moved his capital there, and he's the one that was really responsible through God's leadership of bringing Jerusalem to the top of the, of the heap, if you will, by making that city, which was a small place when he founded his kingdom and put it there. But then over the years, it became not just a capital city, but an ugly place. How so? Well, it became a place where those who should have known better and been the most faithful planted their sword in the ground, a sword of legalism, we might call it. Those ruling parties, Pharisees and Sadducees, Herodians, Zealots, they all claimed this city to be their base of operations. And as Jesus walked through the streets of Jerusalem, remember, he grew up going there quite often, at least annually for every Passover. That's what every good Jewish family did. And Jesus spent a lot of time in the north of Galilee, but equal amounts, especially in those latter months of his ministry in Jerusalem. And Jesus grew increasingly impatient and frustrated with the ugliness of those who said they knew God and were connected to him and yet had turned God's house into a place of merchandise, a den of robbers is what he called it. I mean, he called it worse than ugly. 
But you see, God has a way of undoing the ugly and revealing beauty. Because what did Jesus say? (laughs) He said, don't look to that building. Don't look to that temple. Look to me. I am the true temple. Which would tell us in no uncertain terms that if we desire to connect with God, we don't go to an institution. We don't go to a building. We don't pay for a sacrificial animal. We don't go through all those steps. Though they had their place, but they had turned into nothing more than empty, than emptiness and ugliness. Ritual. And Jesus said, come to me and you will find rest. A way of turning the ugly into the beautiful. Because that's what God does at Christmas especially. He undoes the ugliness. The perfectly ugly village of Bethlehem. Now, if I am the nation of Israel, here's Jerusalem right here. And Bethlehem is just about six miles south. A tiny village. Couldn't have been more than just a population numbering in the hundreds during the first century. It's hard to it really envision that even though it was only six miles, it's a rugged terrain and it was separated from the big city of Jerusalem. But go, you go back through history and you will find if, if you had a, a, a Rand McNally travel atlas of all the things that had happened in Israel, you would find paragraph after paragraph going back to Bethlehem, 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 burial place of Rachel, way back in the Old Testament, where Ruth was married, where she went and lived out her life. Bethlehem. A city named after bread. The city of bread is what Bethlehem means. There are so many things tied up in this little town of Bethlehem. But if you look closely at it, it's ugly. I mean, come on. A city, excuse me, a village that doesn't even recognize the basic human needs of people who were forced to come their way that tax period 2,000 years ago. A young man who was evidently in trouble because it was evident that his young wife was very near to delivering a child and yet we keep saying no place for them in the end. Give me a break. We always make room for the true emergencies of life. When a family needs a place to have a memorial service here in this town, we're really the only venue big enough for some of those places. And you know what our church does? We know them. We don't know them. It doesn't matter. We bend over backwards and do everything we can to meet the needs of grieving families. That's just what we do. That's who we are. It's the right thing to do. And you talk about a little village of Bethlehem where news travels fast and there was no 
helping hand offered? Ugly. Inexcusable. Pitiful. And yet, what does God do? God takes the ugly and undoes it. You begin to see a pattern here in the ugly setting. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And looking at the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, the village of Bethlehem. And we don't have time, but we could spend a lot of time talking about the perfectly ugly empire of Rome. We could spend all kinds of time talking about other reference points that were part of the story of Christmas. But it really crystallizes in Bethlehem, does it not? Where God takes a scene in a village that is cold and callous and hollow. And he brings his glory to bear. It's beautiful. A perfectly timed birth of a baby. Galatians 4.4. Listen to God's word. Also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, there's a whole lot of legal vocabulary in those verses. Paul is trying to convince us and to help us know that we have a place in God's home, in God's kingdom, in his family, that that plan that was germinated in the Garden of Eden when that ugliness reared its head in sin that God had a way and a plan of bringing us back. And he uses the, the, uh, the term adoption because the terms of adoption in the first century, especially under Roman rule, were very, very strict. And you could never undo the relationship of an adopted child. If it was a blood child and they did something you didn't like, cut them out of the will. But if it's an adopted child, they were protected Never to be disowned. And look at the beauty of that concept. That we are, what, adopted into God's family. It's just a reminder, as Paul is driving home that legal term, that when we're adopted into God's family, it's once for all. It's secure. And all God's people said, amen. But it's that phrase, when the fullness of time came. Pastor I grew up under always said it like this at Christmas. He said, Jesus the Christ was born not a moment too early, not a moment too late. At just the right time in history. The fullness of time. I love that phrase. Because you see what that tells us is that Christmas didn't happen just by chance. But Christmas happened, the birth of the Savior, it happened at just the right moment when God dropped down this plan and it became flesh and blood 
in the birth of his son. Now you think about that for a minute. You think about all the times when historical events happened. And you think about the timing of them. Isn't it wonderful when something just clicks and when something happens in life where everything just comes together? It doesn't happen that often for most of us, but every once in a while, you sit back and you just go, yes, this deal came about at the right time or, or this choice I made at the right time or, or this job opportunity happened just at the right time and we count our blessings. Well, you just multiply that by an infinite number. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us. In the fullness of time, at right moment, not a moment too early, not a moment too late. Because why? Because when you look back at all those settings that we see as ugly, God brought the birth of his son to bear at a time when a Roman empire ruled under a certain amount of what we would call the Roman peace. They were so big that they enforced peacefulness, you might say. They had managed to put a highway system, nothing like we could imagine, but they managed to have a transportation system all across the Roman Empire where people like Paul could make a journey from Thessalonica to Corinth and to Athens and to go on all those missionary journeys that are labeled in those maps that your Bible better have or it's not worth it. Not a moment too early, not a moment too late. So consider your setting. Consider where you are in life. And see how God is taking the random ugliness and undoing it and revealing its beauty. And remember, the three greatest presents God ever gave us. It's that trio that is repeated time and time again. Not the only three good Christian virtuous presents that God gives us, but the three headline events, no doubt. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is a choice that we make, not a feeling or not a set of circumstances we have in our brain, but a willful choice to say yes, hope, an expectation of the future that depends upon God and his work in your life. And love, that word that is so abused and misused in the English language, but the Greek language of the New Testament crystallizes it in agape, a specific word to denote God's sacrificial love for you and me. God has a way of undoing the ugly. Be it in the lives of people or even in the places we go. Such an ordeal.
Family hiding from the storm Found no place at the keeper's door It was for this a child was born To save a world so cold and hollow The sleeping town did not know That lying in a manger low A Savior came who had no home And He has come to heal our sorrows Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart for God to write His story? Shepherds counting sheep in the night Do not fear the glory light For precious in His sight God has come to raise the lowly Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart for God To write His story? You can come as you are, but it will set you apart when you make room in your heart, trade your dreams for His glory. But what can I give Him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. And if I were a wise man, I would do my part. So what I have, I'll give him. I will give my heart Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart for God To write a story? You can come as you are it will set you apart If you make room in your heart And trade your dreams for His glory Make room in your heart Make room in your heart Make room in your heart and trade your dreams for God's glory. Father, we ask that you 
show us how you undo the ugliness of our lives. How you turn the ugly into the beautiful. Help us to know that it hinges upon our desire to follow you. To give you not just a portion of our lives, but our whole heart. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We wrap up this hour the way we always do. An opportunity for choices, for decisions. Could well be that you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. Song says, give him your heart. We know what that means. It means that we turn over the reins, the power of our life to him. That we make a great exchange. We give him our lives and he gives us his power and his presence. It's a choice that you make. It's a prayer that we pray. And so we'll have ministers and deacons standing here to receive those who are to that point of commitment, that point of making that choice. We'll pray with you. We'll counsel you. Can't do it for you, but we certainly can encourage. So for those who want to put their their lives in the hands of God in Christ, we invite you to step out and come forward and do just that. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord just never obeyed him in that symbol of baptism. There's water up there. It's not our idea. I wouldn't have thought of it. It's an amazing picture of how Christ changes our lives. So let's talk about that. And if that's something you need to experience, let's make it happen. A church to call your own? Is this where you want to be? Is this where you want to plug in? How do you join a church? Do you have to write your name on a roll? Well, you step out, you come forward, you plant your life here. You become part of a family. So we invite you to come to join with us in that way if that's what God is leading you to do. And then maybe it's just every time you look in the mirror, every time you look at anything, all you see is the ugly. Look how God is undoing it and bringing to bear that which is beautiful. That's how he works in our lives. So whatever you need to do, whatever choice you need to make, whatever call of obedience there is, make it now. That's our invitation. So I ask you to stand. We wait for you here. Won't you step out and come forward as God leads?